last message in this series from 1 Timothy, where we've been talking about uh, how God wants us to conduct ourselves in the church. The church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And I hope that this uh, particular series has been an encouragement to all of you as we have walked through it together. It's been a number of very practical issues that we've talked about, and I think today you'll find this also to be very practical. Listen to what Paul writes in chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. In 1702, Cotton Mather, who was a Puritan pastor in Boston, was concerned about the trend that he saw toward materialism in our country. Now, isn't that interesting? 1702, a pastor concerned about materialism affecting his congregation. He was concerned about the attraction that that had and how it was pulling people away from their faith in Christ. And he wrote a book called Magnolia Christi Americana, Magnify Christ, America. And in that book, he made this statement. Religion begat prosperity, and the daughter devoured the mother. By religion, he meant, obviously, Christianity. That's all they knew at that time, and that's how they referred to our faith. But Cotton Mather noticed something about Christianity. He noticed that when there were authentic conversions in people's lives, that bad habits began to fall away. Habits of drunkenness or gambling or sloth or indulgence were put behind. And replacing them were virtues, virtues that led to things like hard work or saving or industry or concern for one another. People became better husbands and wives, better fathers, better mothers, parents of their children. They became better managers and better workers, and along with that came, for many people, more and greater prosperity. But the problem was that with that prosperity, that in time it may devour the Christianity that gave it birth especially in the second and third generation as children came along who didn't realize where those blessings had come from or who began to take it for granted as though those things were just part of what we had done. This is part of our hard work or our skills or our gifts rather than seeing those things as coming from the hand of God. It's a problem we face in every generation. We're seeing it in America again today. We have great wealth and freedom and opportunities. We have tremendous financial resources at our disposal. But where did those things come from? And how are we using them? 
And how do they affect our relationship with Christ? I believe that's why God directed Paul to include this passage in 1 Timothy, in his letter on the church. Because there were wealthy people in the church in Ephesus who had been converted out of the world, and now what were they to do with that wealth, and how were they to use it? And in the same people, there are wealthy people in the church today. In fact, compared to the world at large, all of us in this room would fall into that category. So how are we to use the things that we have been given? You see, the problem is not with our wealth. It is with our attitude towards it and with how we use it. And so in this passage, Paul tells us four things that we should do. First of all, he says, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant about what you have. And did you notice it is a command? He is saying to Timothy here, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Instead, be humble. One of the great dangers of wealth is the temptation to be proud or arrogant, to think that perhaps we are better or superior or more gifted or more talented or more deserving, and that's why we have these resources. There's a temptation to think that somehow we have accomplished all of this on our own. In the book of Daniel, there's a story about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, one of the most powerful rulers in ancient history. Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was born into a privileged position in Babylon. He was the son of a king. He was also a great warrior who led their armies to victory over their enemies of Assyria and Egypt. When his father died, he became the ruler of Babylon. And within 20 years, he expanded his empire from Egypt to Asia. A powerful ruler who then began to turn his attention to great projects of building and fortifications of cities. The hanging gardens of Babylon that he built were one of the ancient wonders, one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world. It was remarkable all that he had accomplished in a short time. But Nebuchadnezzar took the credit for that upon himself. One day he was walking around in his palace looking at all that he had made and he said this. He said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Look at what I've done. And the scripture says that the words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven came down. And all of that was taken away. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from the palace and lived like a wild beast for seven years until he came to recognize that God is sovereign over the affairs of men. And he gives these things to whoever he wishes. You see, Nebuchadnezzar would learn that God is able to humble those who walk in pride. We can think, too, of the people of Israel. Before God brought the Israelites into the promised land, He gave them this warning in Deuteronomy 8. It's a passage of Scripture that I read, and I just kind of stand in amazement when I think about it. Moses gave this warning from God, and he said that when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. And be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, 
failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving to you this day. He went on to say, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then you will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Remember who it is that has given you the gifts that you have, the abilities that you have to work, to study, to think, to use those gifts and talents of yours to earn a living and to provide for your family. Students, remember who it is that has given you the abilities that you have. And the future that is before you is one that God knows and He wants to lead and direct you. And those gifts that you have have come from His hand. And don't ever take that for granted. God is the owner of it all. We are just simply stewards. God is our provider and it all belongs to Him. So remember God's blessings and be humble. Secondly, the Scripture tells us to put our hope in God. There are two things that I want you to notice in the second half of this verse. He instructs us to put our hope in God because wealth is temporary and uncertain. It can be lost very quickly. I was on the web this week looking for an illustration of this. And you know, there's a lot of famous people who have filed for bankruptcy, (laughs) who have had great wealth and lost everything. Actors and actresses, athletes, businessmen and women. One of the more interesting stories concerned John Connolly. In the 1980s, John Connolly had to file for bankruptcy. Here was this man who was the former governor of Texas and former secretary of the Treasury of the United States of America under Richard Nixon. And it was kind of ironic to think about that this man who once signed his name to all of the nation's money now had no money of his own. I mean, all the money that was printed in the uh, time when he was secretary of Treasury had his name stamped on it, and yet now he was filing for bankruptcy. He had borrowed heavily to invest in the Texas real estate boom. He had put a lot of money into shopping malls and office buildings and luxury condos. And when the market turned sour, he couldn't pay his debts. He was selling off everything that he could to try to cover it, but there wasn't enough. A man whose wealth was once estimated at some $300 million, now had lost it all. What do you do? It was very humbling for him to have to take this road. It is a reminder of how wealth is uncertain. It can be quickly lost. So don't put your trust in it. Put your hope in God who is our firm foundation. And that doesn't mean that we as Christians shouldn't save or shouldn't plan for our retirement or put money in an IRA. Those are prudent things to do. But we don't put our trust in those things. We do it because God has blessed us and we want to set aside and plan for the future. 
But ultimately, our hope and our confidence is in Him. He is our security. And I want you to notice what else Paul says about God. He tells us that God is the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There is such a healthy balance here in the Scripture. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life or have any fun. On the contrary, God richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. God has made us with a capacity to appreciate art and music or nature or sports or beauty and adventure. He's given us the ability to, to do great things and to participate in those kind of adventures. He's given us the ability to smile and laugh and experience pleasure. And when we do those things to the glory of God and we give thanks to Him, we honor Him. It was the false teachers in Ephesus that promoted a severe asceticism. And if you're not familiar with that word, asceticism means self-denial. It was the false teachers that promoted that kind of severe self-denial, not the New Testament. And they said, you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you can't do these things. When the Scripture says that there is much that we can do to the glory of God and enjoy when we honor Him. But, that doesn't mean that we can squander our resources or spend it all on ourselves. There's a balance between the two and we find that balance in the Scriptures when we come to Him in prayer and ask and seek His will. That's why Paul goes on to say thirdly that we are to be generous. And we see that in verses 18 and 19. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age and so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you desire that? Do you want to take hold of the life that is truly life, the life that's going to last for all of eternity? Do you want to really plan for your future? Not just your retirement in this life, but your future in eternity with God? And do you want that to be something that is going to be just a tremendous joy when you arrive and stand in the presence of God? Then do these things. Live this way. Do good to others. It's the golden rule to treat others as we would want to be treated ourselves. And we don't do that to be seen by others, but because God has been good to us. Be rich, not in money, but in good deeds. And be generous and willing to share. Notice that Paul did not say here, command those who are rich in this present world to give it all away. The command that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler was not a command to everyone to go and sell everything and then come and follow Jesus Christ. It wasn't a universal command that the church took as something that everyone was to do. That was a command that Jesus gave to this young man because he knew his heart. And there are those in the history of the church whom God has spoken to and have done that very thing. C.T. Studd was a young man who was a millionaire who had inherited a fortune, gave it all away to follow Jesus Christ. And there are those who have done that. But it was not a universal command. 
The command that He gave to all of us, though, is to be generous and to use what we have for God's glory. To be generous in giving away the things that He has given to us. You see, God hasn't given us money or wealth so that we can spend it all on ourselves. He's given us wealth so that we can be a blessing to others. Randy Elkhorn has said this, that God prospers me not to raise my standard of living but to raise my standard of giving. The more we have, the more that is expected of us. The very minimum that we all should do is that of a tithe in terms of giving to the Lord the first fruits of what we have. And then beyond that, as God provides and blesses for us. It's not what... Excuse me. It is what we give to be used by God that will last forever. Do you believe that? It is those things that we put in God's hands that are going to last forever. Martin Luther said this. He said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Whatever I have given to Him is what truly is going to last. A.W. Tozer said, As base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. The way we use our homes the way we use the gifts that we have been given, our talents, our time, and our treasure, can become a blessing to others when it is used for His glory. Do you live that way? And do you look at the things that you have been given as gifts from God to be given and used freely and generously to bless others? That's what Paul is saying here. And finally, he commands us to be faithful. In verses 20 and 21, he spoke to Timothy in his final word to Timothy as this young man shepherding this church in Ephesus. And he said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. That word guard is a strong word. It means to protect and defend. If you're going to protect and defend something, you have to think about that. What does that mean? How am I going to do that? And you also have to value what you have been given. For Timothy, that was the gospel and his ministry, the church where he served. And for all of us, it is our calling that we have been given. It's the gifts and talents and resources that we have. And God is saying to you, guard that, value that, treasure what you have been given and protect and defend it. Because your faith and the faith of others depends upon it. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. That is a word that is appropriate for all of us, but it is especially appropriate for those of you who are students that are graduating. It's appropriate for all of our young adults and those who are still in school, whether it's in high school or college. 
I want to say to you and encourage you to be careful who you listen to. Because in the years ahead, you're going to hear many different voices challenging you to go a different direction in your life. There are many different ways that Satan will try to undermine your faith. One of those ways is he's going to try and keep you from going to church and being with other believers. And you need to find that fellowship somewhere that's going to keep you strong. It's easy in those years when you leave you know, high school and you're away from home to kind of drift. And many people do that. And what happens to their faith? It grows cold. It's like taking a log out of the fireplace and the fire goes out. You need to find fellowship and encouragement from other believers while you're away from home. And secondly, he's going to try and challenge everything you've been taught from the Scriptures. And he'll use, sometimes it'll be a teacher, a professor, or sometimes it'll be other friends or people that you meet that are going to challenge your values and what you believe, and you need to make those things your own. And you need to dig into the Scriptures and see what you really believe and personalize that. He's also going to try and keep you just simply too busy for God running with a lot of fun and interesting things that you could do or keeping you busy with your studies or activities when you need to carve out in your life time for God and your walk with Him. And fourthly, He's going to try to lure you away with other things and the things that He's been doing since man was created are using things like money and sex and power to pull people away from Christ and to get you to kind of follow the way of the world and you need to make choices every day Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? It's true for all of us, but especially in those times when we are trying to decide for ourselves, what do we believe? Your parents can't do this for you. Your faith has got to be your own, and the choices that you make, you are going to be accountable to God for. And one day you will stand before Him. It's a strong word to follow those who follow Christ and to guard what has been entrusted to you. You see, this passage of Scripture tells us that if we are to live as God intends in the church, we need to use the wealth that we have been given in a way that honors Him. We need to use it for His honor and glory. And secondly, we need to guard our heart and follow Jesus Christ. Each of us know the areas where we struggle. And each of us needs to have a strategy to defeat the enemy, and to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we will be able to look back on our life with no regrets because we know that we have used what we have been given. And we've used that well. And we've grown in our relationship with Christ. And we've done our best to pass on our faith to our children and our grandchildren and those who will follow behind us. That's our desire as a church. And I'm glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture that instructs us so clearly on how to live. Now it's up to us to put that into practice. And help us to be honest about ourselves, honest about what we may be struggling with or the temptations that we are yielding to. And Father, help us to say no to them and to say yes to Jesus Christ and to walk with you each and every day of our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.